But let me go She's... put a mustache on and we'll... Uh... <laughs> I mean, we could go on for hours with this. That's the funny thing. Except for I can't even speak right now. Oh, man, I'm crying again. Yep, wow. once again, none of this can go in. None of it. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Dana. Dana. Hey, Dana. Yes. Dana. <laughs> it's February. We made it through January. Made it through the dry January. We did. We made it. I cheated. Uh, I think I told you I was going to cheat. The last day, uh, 31st, I went to a trade show and a friend of mine bought me a couple beers. Well, dry January is really big in uh, England, right? Yeah. So at the time you were drinking, it was February in England. So I think you're good. <laughs> That's why I told my wife, I said, you know, it's, uh, it was already February 1st in Scotland. So uh, there you go. Yeah. So we both made it though. Yeah. Didn't have a breakdown or nothing. And this was the first time for, that I've done this. I, I think I'll do it next year. It's not a big deal. Uh, no. You know, I mean, I think when I was younger, it would have been a big deal. But uh, these days it's uh, not so big. <laughs> 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 I'm not going to say anything. That's <laughs> not saying anything, Dana. Here's the thing. Here's the big difference, I think. When we were younger, like all of our friends, and I'm including myself in this, would be like, what are you doing not drinking? What are you crazy not drinking anything? And now it's like, yeah, it's probably good. It's probably good you're not drinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought about that, that when I was younger, if somebody told me they were doing dry January, I probably would have laughed at them. Uh, the idea of me doing dry January was unheard of. The concept of me doing dry any day was unheard of. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, I think at some point I probably won't be drinking... Uh, probably it probably will be uh, you know dry January, February, March, April, something like that. You mean when we're dead? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna say that. I was trying to be positive. So last week's episode, the city on the edge of forever, we said it was one of our favorite episodes on Facebook and email and texts and YouTube, everybody else has been saying it's one of their favorite episodes. There's a lot of discussion about whether or not Kirk could have saved Edith Keeler. You and I had this discussion. I think it was offline because I said it would be too bad. It's too bad he couldn't take her back to the ship and just take her out of the timeline. And you said they had to correct the timeline then and they couldn't get back to their own timeline unless the timeline was corrected. That's what it seemed to me to be. Yeah. And that makes sense. A few people on Facebook who said that same thing. Uh, I used your logic and... Uh-oh, uh that never <laughs> Most of them told me to go, you know, myself, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go stalactite yourself. <laughs> yeah. But uh, most people thought if Kirk really loved her, he could have figured out a way to save her and get her back into his timeline. Yeah, I don't think so. I, yeah, I don't, I don't, so. I don't think so. That's It wouldn't have worked. You know, the other thing that I meant to bring up last week, and I it was in my notes and I totally forgot, in the show, she's called Edith Keeler, right? In the credits, she's referred to as Sister Edith Keeler, as though she's kind of in a religious order of some type. I believe that the uh, like Salvation Army people are referred to as like sisters and brothers. And she was running what well, she was running uh, wasn't a kit, a soup kitchen it was a mission. So that leads us to think that, yeah, maybe uh, Kirk wanted to be with her in a biblical way or a missionary way. <laughs> 
I think anyway would have been fine for Kirk. So, <laughs> speaking of Facebook, did we even uh, mention Facebook? I, I can't even remember. <laughs> well, we did said that we had comments, a lot of comments uh, for oh, Facebook, right. and so I want to thank uh, the people that uh, posted on our page: Olivia, Daniel, James, Jose, Mario, Renee, Robert, Roberto, Mark, Walter, Dean, Danuta. William, Mike Johnson, James, Richard Carr, Jeffrey, and Linda from Anthony says, may I suggest one more topic for your post-podcast count along with the shirtless Kirk, etc.? How about the number of times a complete stranger, non-technician operates the transporter perfectly? Well, yeah, you brought that up uh, a couple of times now. And it, yeah, it was great to see that someone else had that same, that same yeah, thought. We do get a lot of uh, comments and suggestions on ways we can improve the show. And we really appreciate that. Uh, and surprisingly, no one has said, stop doing what you're doing. So <laughs> that has not been one of the ways to improve the show. In fact, uh, one of our good friends that we talk to every weekend, should I mention his name? He'd probably be really excited if I mentioned his name. I'll mention his name. Uh, his name is Jeff. He, I think, was very skeptical of the whole Star Trek podcast thing. He listens religiously, like every week he's tuning in to see what kind of nonsense we're going to spew. And he's the one that said uh, people shouldn't listen to this in their cars because he was laughing so hard he almost got in a car accident. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it either means we're really funny or he's a really, really bad driver. <laughs> So did you have any uh, uh, YouTube comments, Dan? Yeah, so we got a couple of YouTube comments. Um, one was regarding a scene in the episode, This Side of Paradise. And the scene was, uh, do you remember, Dana, the crew was lining up in the hall waiting to get on the transporter to beam down to the planet. They had yeah. all been infected by the um, those spores. And you said that it looked like a line to get into a bathroom at a concert. And so Shamrock Particle wrote about our podcast, Great Jokes especially the bathroom one, Kirk wanted to get in the front of the line before making a log entry. Nice. That was very good. That was actually, that fits right in with, you know, the high level of conversation that we have about the episode. So thank you once again, uh, Shamrock Particle. And then about the episode Galileo 7, Kingmon said, I always enjoyed this episode. Kirk was not the lead in this one. I remember thinking as a kid how there were no restrooms on that little shuttle once again, back to the bathrooms, apparently, Dana. Um, <laughs> the most amazing part of this one was the fact that phasers were enough to get them off the planet. Also, Kirk got teary-eyed when they finally found the crew of the Galileo 7. So thank you, Kingmon. And we do appreciate the comments, all of them, as Dana said. And if you happen to listen to us on YouTube, we'd love to hear your comments. And also go ahead and uh, like and subscribe. <laughs> The last episode of the first season, episode 29, Operation Annihilate, starts with the Enterprise approaching the planet Deneva. Okay, I'm going to uh, jump in already, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> First, I think it's Deneva, but that, that does, that's not why I was jumping in. So, Dana, this episode is the only one in all of the original series to include an exclamation point in the title. And I think it's the only one with a hyphen in it as well. Yes, that is true. Here's the deal. We care about punctuation a lot on this show, <laughs> and we want to make sure people know that. 
I'm sure people are thinking very punctuated thoughts as they listen to us. So. <laughs> They're going to punctuate me right in the face right now. <laughs> uh, so the Enterprise is approaching Deneva. Kirk's walking around the bridge. Spock's research has revealed that a pattern of mass insanity has been spreading in a straight line through this part of the galaxy, starting with Lavinius 5, 200 years ago. Usually insanity spreads a lot faster than that. I know it did through my family. So it was... Uh, <laughs> And now Deneva is next. And then there's Uhura on the bridge as well. She says that she's been unable to contact any transmitter on the planet, including a private transmitter, GSK-783, that Kirk suggests. So uh, Sulu picks up on sensors, uh, a small craft of Denvin configuration, and it's on course directly for the sun. And uh, they notice right away it's not out of control, and Kirk orders Sulu to engage the Enterprise at warp 8, and it's out of range of the tractor beams. The Enterprise pursues. Finally, they make contact just seconds before the ship burns up, and the pilot cries out, I did it. It's finally gone. I'm free. And Kirk orders the Enterprise to reverse course as the uh, Denovan ship goes into the sun. Kirk then orders that they go to Deneva. Dana, when they're going toward the sun, Spock is reading off the temperature on the hull of the ship, right? It keeps going up. It's getting really hot. And we see one little trickle of sweat on Kirk's forehead. Then they show Scotty, and he's just drenched. Like, he's completely <laughs> drenched in sweat. And then when they move away from the sun again, he the, the, the sweat's gone. Like, it's just completely gone. It's those advanced HVAC systems that they have. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they wow, sense that's... when somebody's got a lot of sweat on their forehead and it blows directly on them and dries them off. My I had office... a car once, the only car I've ever had, sorry, that had Go ahead. an air conditioning vent that, that shot right up at the crotch. It was great. <laughs> You know, in the Midwest, we both grew oh, up in the Midwest man. where it's hot and humid, and it was the best air conditioning vent I've ever had. You used to have a Volkswagen Rabbit that didn't have heat, I remember. Yeah, it, it was a bug. Yeah, Volkswagen bug. Yeah. Bug. Have, yeah. Yeah, no heat. Yeah. I found out later the reason it had no heat, um, and this is not a ramble. Uh, by the way, we did get a little kind of feedback how we have been rambling, but not referencing the ramble jar. So I don't know if that's a ramble about rambling. So we probably should reference the ramble jar more. The reason it didn't have heat is because there was a golf ball stuck in one of the heating vents <laughs> inside the thing and it would roll around like it would have intermittent heat and occasionally it would come loose and roll out of the way or something. I don't really know. But it's not a ramble because in this episode, they talk about the heat of the sun. And let's face it, our whole episode is a ramble. So... As it should be. So Kirk wonders why the ship went directly into the sun. McCoy states that there is one possibility, that the insanity has reached Deneva. And McCoy walks up to Kirk and softly asks, Jim, your brother Sam and his family, aren't they stationed on this planet? Uhura tells Kirk she made contact with the private transmitter he told her about. A voice comes on and says, please help us. Hurry. And then the signal gets cut off. It's a female's voice, yeah? It's a female voice. And Kirk recognizes as his sister-in-law. So Kirk orders Uhura to reestablish communications and Uhura tries but says she cannot. And Kirk gets pretty testy with her and says, I'm not interested in your excuses. And I just love this. Uhura looks at him like, don't make me kick your ass. <laughs> you know, just She gives him a stern look and she says, I'm afraid that's impossible at the moment, Captain. They stop broadcasting immediately. They do not acknowledge my contact signal. And Kirk realizes she's right, and he says, keep trying. But he um, didn't apologize, though, Dana. He no, did not apologize. No. He should have, because I got a feeling she was not going to forget that. No. So, oh, you want to beam up? I'm sorry. I'm kind of busy right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, the Gorn's about to rip your head off. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Sucks to be you. Yeah. Maybe if you're nicer to your crew, you know. Exactly. <laughs> your crew's up here eating popcorn, watching that whole event and going, rooting for the Gorn. They got Gorn t-shirts. They got Gorn hats. Gorn foam finger. <laughs> <laughs> McCoy comes up and asks Kirk if he knew who the woman was. And Kirk says his brother is stationed down there. And his brother, Sam, is down there as a research biologist. And that woman sounded like his wife. So Kirk organizes a landing party, Spock, Scotty McCoy, and one security guard, and Yeoman Zara. They beam down to the planet and everything is quiet. No one comes to greet them and they walk and they don't see anyone. Suddenly a group of men armed with like acrylic clubs come chasing after them, screaming, get out of there and uh, go home, get away. And they look like they're going to attack. And Kirk says, phasers on stun. And then the men do attack. And of course, they shoot him down with the phasers. So just then they hear a woman scream and Kirk orders everyone to fan out and follow him. So we cut to a woman in a room and she's screaming and Trent looks like she's trying to use some kind of tray thing or something to cover up a vent on the wall. And uh, she's like screaming, they're here, they're here. And Kirk goes up and pulls her to him trying to like calm her down uh but she is still screaming so mccoy gives her a shot mccoy is always <laughs> quick with those shots when women are screaming <laughs> that's at least he twice dana right i mean at least two episodes probably more yeah the uh the will of landrew one the woman was screaming yeah. and kirk just like hands her off to mccoy <laughs> like give her a shot get her out of my face will you Shut her up for crying out loud. Once she uh, gets the shot, she kind of crumbles into a chair and uh, McCoy checks the other two people in the room, another two bodies on the floor, a man whose face we cannot see. And, and then there's a boy. McCoy asks Kirk if this is his brother. And Kirk goes over and turns the man over. Looks just like William Shatner. Yeah, I wonder with, why. Uh, <laughs> with kind of a cheesy mustache bad. and uh, slightly different hair. And, the uh, mustache was so bad, Dana. Yeah, yeah it was so, a bad mustache. Yeah. I was so hoping at that point uh, McCoy would say he's dead, Jim. I actually went back and watched it again because I was sure I had missed it. Yeah. How so, did he die, McCoy? The mustache. Mustache killed him. It was such a bad mustache. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to jump in more. <laughs> I think. The way that Kirk was like handling the sister-in-law, they had a thing. They totally had a thing, those two. I mean, it's kind of one of these subtexts that you can read in. She was frantic. Yeah. Well, she was screaming, they're here, knowing that Kirk was back and that he was going to tell Sam about their little tryst. And so she killed Sam. Blamed it on the parasites. Yeah, so. and, the, and the son. And probably the yeah. son. You're always seeing that Kirk has had an affair with somebody. Who was their love child? Kirk and somebody had a love child. Jamie from, was that Conscious of the King? That wasn't Conscious of the King. Oh, yeah, it was. It yeah, was. yeah, Conscious of the King. Conscious of the King. Of the King. Con conscience, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm unconscious right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was the theory. <laughs> the love child theory. I forgot about that. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, sorry. Which means the kid on the floor also could have been Kirk's child. But he had red hair. Yeah, it's a recessive gene, I think. <laughs> I have no idea. Really, I have no clue. I'm like completely lost on where I was at. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we see Kirk's brother and the mustache. Yeah, and then Kirk pulls back and says, Sam. And he adds, yes, he is, was my brother. 
And Okay, uh, Dana, why is he even in this episode? What was the point <laughs> of the writers putting him in this episode? I saw that they had a different plot originally for this. I think they wanted to make it more personal. Gives them a little more motivation. Yeah. Shatner as an actor needed motivation. And a mustache. <laughs> I could just see it. Well, we got this guy to play your brother. No, I can play my brother. Just give me a fake mustache. <laughs> and a different toupee. I mean, people know Shatner was a toupee, right? Everyone knows this, yeah? I should hope so. I know we can't get William Shatner on. No chance. But what about his toupee maker? Maybe we can get that guy on. <laughs> yeah, the toupee maker. Him or J.J. Abrams. Yeah. That's what <laughs> you know what? Everyone in the world's interviewed J.J. Abrams. Who has interviewed Shatner's toupee maker? <laughs> Henri, the uh, toupee maker of the stars. Yeah, so. <laughs> what did you say the, the toupee maker's name was? Henri. It, it's close. Apparently it is. <laughs> do you look this up? Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. It was just kind of interesting. It is uh, Pierre. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so interestingly, uh, Shatner started going bald when he was nine, nine years old. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that weird? And he started wearing a hair system from Pierre Latour, a handmade uh, wig and toupee company in Montreal. McCoy says that the boy is unconscious, but still alive. McCoy says he has to get them, meaning the uh, Kirk's sister-in-law and his uh, nephew, back to the ship. So Kirk beams up his family members and leaves Spock in charge of the landing party. On the ship, McCoy is explaining to Kirk that he does not know what's caused their illness, but he has given them tranquilizers to keep them calm. He says your sister-in-law has a high tolerance to the tranquilizer. So Kirk tries talking to her really, and she finally wakes up and she asks for Sam. Kirk says he's dead. She looks at him and says, you are here. And Kirk says, you have to tell us what happened to you and the others. She says they came to the planet months ago. She screams and McCoy gives her another sedative. She lets out a scream and then she expires. Kirk is obviously upset. He stands up and says to McCoy, my brother's son. And McCoy says, I'll do everything I can to save him, Jim. And Jim's like, no, no, I don't like that kid. <laughs> that kid played a brat in some other episode. Yes, he does. I've got things to say about him later. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. So next we see Kirk beam down to the planet. Spock reports that the streets are quiet. There was a buzzing sound. They were just going to check out. And Kirk says, okay, set phasers to force three. Kirk sends uh, one of the security guards off in one direction. Then as the camera pulls away from the crew, we see these rubbery looking things attached to the underside of a passageway. One of them flies off and just misses the crew member. They <laughs> <laughs> this thing's though, Dana. You know where they were from? Yeah. These are plastic vomit. I was going to say they were from the planet Hakalugi because it looked like, <laughs> they look like huge, nasty, you know, it even had some red in it. Like sometimes you get a yeah. really bad cold, spit it on the street and it's gross. But is that what they were? Were they, were they uh, plastic uh, rubber uh, fake vomit? Is the, that... the, yeah. The fake vomit things used to oh. get at party stores and stuff. Our friend Wa Chang is the one that designed them. He put like a uh, rubber coating over the top and like with a uh, bladder in it so they would pulsate. So uh, they turn and start shooting all these rubbery things that are flying about and Kirk kind of focuses phaser on one specific alien and it finally falls off the structure on the grass. And after that, we see all the others that were on the walls and stuff fly away. Spock scans the alien with a tricorder and says, incredible. It is not life as we know or understand it. Yet it is obviously alive, 
It exists. Captain, I suggest we risk taking it aboard. But Kirk says no. They turn to leave and the alien flies up. The alien that they were looking at flies up and hits Spock directly in the back. It appears to uh, cause Spock incredible pain. He twists and turns. He's trying to get it off his back. And he finally falls to the ground. Kirk manages to pry it off his back. And then he asks Spock if he's all right. And Spock kind of turns over and you can just see he's just looking. Like he's racked with pain. I really appreciate Leonard Nimoy and his act. Thing, right in a Star Trek. I would say this was not one of his finest moments. Yeah, I agree. I don't even know if you call it overacting, just bad acting. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Next thing is we're back on the ship and McCoy and Nurse Chapel are checking out the puncture wound on Spock's back. Spock struggles against the pain and they give him a shot. So the next thing we see is McCoy comes up on the bridge and he shows something in a glass jar to Kirk. He says this is wrapped around Spock's spinal cord. He says these things are like tentacles and are all through Spock's body. So back in sickbay, Spock regains consciousness and he sits up in the bed and he's saying no, no. And uh, Nurse Chapel tries to tend to him, but he ignores her. As a matter of fact, he pushes her out of the way and he, then he just exits sickbay. Uh, the next thing we see is him in the transporter room. And Scotty questions why he is not still in sickbay. And Spock just says, I was. Spock goes towards the transporter pads and Scotty says he cannot let him beam down to the surface. Spock knocks Scotty down and does the Vulcan nerve pinch on the, the other transporter guy. Scotty gets up with a phaser in hand and says, Freeze right there, Mr. Spock, or I'll put you to sleep for sure. <laughs> That's a good line. Great line for Scotty. Yeah. Uh, Kirk comes to the transporter bay. Spock explains that they need to examine one of the creatures. And since he is already infected, he cannot be hurt worse. After a moment, Kirk agrees and tells Scotty to give Spock his phaser. Spock gets on the transporter pad with his little collection box that he has. It just looks like a, a red toolbox. In fact, I'm but, sure that's what it was. Not that it, everything needs to look futuristic, but it needs to look better than just like, uh, hey, we need this prop and some, you know, <laughs> set builders walking by. Yeah, get that. that that'll do. Fine, whatever. Yeah. On the planet, we see Spock. He goes back to the spot where he was attacked and he sees the creatures. Uh, he fires at one and knocks it off the structure. He then goes and picks it up with a pair of plastic grabbers that kind of looked like fancy salad tongs or something. <laughs> so they get the toolbox from the electrician who's walking by and they get the salad tongs from the commissary, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but the weird thing to me was, why didn't he just pick it up with his hand? I mean, one, he's already been infected. Two, when it was on his back, that's how Kirk got it off his back. He didn't ask, hey, anyone got some salad tongs here to take this thing <laughs> off? Kirk just ripped it off his off of his back with his bare hands because Spock's a scientist at heart and scientists do things the right way well I guess that's true he didn't want to contaminate it with whatever he may have had on his hands or something I don't know so next thing we see is Spock is in a lab back on the ship as McCoy and Kirk enter Kirk says the Denovan who flew towards the sun said he was free he goes let's look at that angle Kirk says we have to find a way to kill the creature without hurting the host Kirk says I cannot let the spread beyond this galaxy. If it means killing one million people down there, he doesn't finish that sentence. Yeah, he says it kind of nonchalantly, really. It doesn't seem like it has a lot of weight in that moment. Spock and McCoy say they've tried everything, but nothing works. Something in the sun killed that thing before the Denovan ship was destroyed. McCoy says, we've tried everything, heat, radiation, and then Kirk says, but you haven't mentioned one thing. It's bright. It radiates a blinding light. The creatures stayed in the shadow. Suppose they're sensitive to light. So later still, they put the 
creature inside this chamber, and Spock explains they will expose the creature to one million candles per square inch of light. It's a lot of candles, Dana. Are they scented so, candles, you think? Or are they regular <laughs> candles? What kind of candles are they? I think they're soy candles. So. I've never heard of a soy candle. Is that a real thing? That's what you're supposed to be using these days instead of the old wax candles because the wax and paraffin, whatever, gives off cancerous odors, but the soy candles stink. Oh, they're not like perfumed in any way. They might be, but the smell that comes out, not a good smell. So you'd rather get the cancer and have it smell like the ocean breeze. I'm not like sitting there huffing on the candle or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so they go back and open the door and the creature is dead. And Kirk is still concerned that they need to continue to the experiment with someone who has been infected. Hmm. <laughs> someone on the ship who's been infected. Who else, Dan, is on the ship that's been infected? Huh. I don't know, Dana. Who else might that be? Mr. Spock? Oh, maybe Mr. Spock. Yeah. And lucky for them, he steps up and volunteers. Mm -hmm. McCoy says, do you know what that light intensity will do to your optic nerve? And Spock says, there is no other choice. So Spock goes in the chamber. They blast him with light. Spock comes out. Kirk asks if he's all right. Spock says, the creature is gone and I am free of the pain. He then walks towards the table and he bumps into the table and he says, I'm also quite blind. An equitable trade, doctor. Thank you. Spock sits down. Chapel comes in with lab tests on the dead creature. McCoy looks at the report and says, we threw the entire spectrum of light at the creature. I didn't think it might be only one kind of light that might have killed it. McCoy is definitely upset. He apologizes to Spock and Spock says, it was my choice as well. So the next thing we see is uh, satellites being deployed. Sulu says the ultraviolet satellites are in position. So the creatures drop and uh, they start to melt and kind of burn up. Uh, you her reports that the ground station says all the things are dying. She says it's working. So next uh, we see Kirk dictating to Yeoman Zara. Yeah, of course he was. And she looks up and says, look, it's Mr. Spock. Kirk walks towards Spock and he says, you can see. Spock explains that Vulcans have an inner eyelid, a hereditary trait of Vulcans developed as a protection against the brightness of Vulcan's sun. Kirk ponders that regaining one's sight would be an emotional experience for most and assumes that Spock, as usual, had none. But Spock corrects him. Quite the contrary, Captain. I had a very strong reaction. My first sight was the face of Dr. McCoy bending over me. Tis a pity brief blindness did not increase your appreciation for beauty, Mr. Spock. So that's how the uh, season one comes to a close, Dan. <laughs> So before we get into what you liked and what you didn't like, what, what do you have for themes and dilemmas on this? I don't know, Dana. This episode to me was kind of like, have you ever stayed at a hotel that has the breakfast bar? Yeah. Yeah. So some of them can be really good and some are just really not very good. This one was reminded me of when you go to get the oatmeal and sometimes they have really fresh, good oatmeal. This is really bland oatmeal. Uh, that's the analogy I'm going to make. Bland hotel oatmeal. To me, it was like a throwaway episode. I, I mean, I suppose the dilemma could be Kirk has to sacrifice a million people to stop the thing from spreading? I don't know. What What do you think? Yeah, I have 
the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, even if the few are a million people. Of course, his struggle with saving his brother's son, that was his big dilemma. You know, I mean, was how to save his brother's son. Let's talk about his brother's son for a moment, shall we? Sure. Because this guy, first off, he's got zero lines in the show. It was, again, like he was just this throwaway character. I guess there was a scene. Kirk tells the boy that he's going to go live with his uh, grandparents, and they ended up cutting that from the show. Well, they should have cut the kid completely because he was just... And we do see him in season three, and I think it's yeah. the episode The Children Shall Lead. Oh, God. I wish he would have died on that planet because he comes back. <laughs> that guy's still alive, too. I hope he's not listening. If you are listening, great, great acting. Great bit of acting that you did there. <laughs> we believed you were dead. Yeah, so, so. <laughs> yeah we did. We hoped and we believed. Um, actually, he became a musician and then did some music uh, for some of the Star Trek films. Now I want to talk to him. Yeah, we should. So. We loved your acting, uh, whatever that your name was. We loved it. And we want you on our show. <laughs> What are your best parts of the show, Dan? My favorite part of this episode, Dana, and maybe one of the best lines in the first season, certainly by Uhura, is when she tells Kirk basically to go fuck off, that she knows how to do her <laughs> job and to stop, like, you know, harassing her. That, that was my best part, Dana. How about for you? Spock struggled to keep the alien at bay in his body and his mind. I, I just really like that concept. Thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Anything else that stands out for you as a good part? Yeah. Uh, the kid, Peter, had no lines. He, he just <laughs> looked like he would be annoying. <laughs> and we find out in season three, he is annoying. Do you remember that episode? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. See, annoying. How about another best part for you? I like the alien. I get tired of the humanoid aliens. I like that it was uh, different. I like that it flew through the air. How about a worst part for you, Dan? Anything stand out? Kirk's mustache. I mean, it looked like what will later in the 70s be referred to as like a porn stash. Yeah. How about a worst part for you? Chapel always lets her emotions get in the way when it comes to Spock. Mm, yeah. And it affects her in a her ability to be a good nurse. And and that kind of bothers me. Do you have any other worst parts, Dan? Yeah, I thought this was a really weak episode to wrap up the first season. Why didn't they just flip City on the Edge of Forever for this one? That would have been a much stronger choice to end, end the first season. How about another worst part for you? Maybe this is nitpicky, but this thing has been going through the galaxy for over 200 years. No one knew what it was. No one's made a report. No one else has come across it. I, I like the idea that it you know, had been traveling from planet to planet. So, Dana, what happened on this date in history? Dan, I'm glad you asked. Uh, the show aired on April 13th, 1967. Tom Seaver, one of the greatest pitchers in Major League Baseball history and a uh, future Hall of Famer, made his Major League debut in a 3-2 win for the New York Mets or the Pittsburgh Pirates. Also, Gary L. Scott, a science teacher at a high school in Jacksboro, Tennessee, lost his job for violating a law prohibiting the teaching of evolution. In 1967? Scott <laughs> wow. It is Tennessee. Well, a couple more things that happened on the state. Casino Royale, a comedy intended as a spoof of the first James Bond novel by Ian Fleming, had its world premiere in London with David Niven portraying an older Bond. One critic noted that reviewers were generally unkind. <laughs> and in music, the number one song in the U.S. was Something Stupid, Nancy Sinatra and Frank Sinatra and in Great Britain unseating Please Release Me uh -huh. was Something Stupid by Nancy Sinatra and Frank Sinatra. So Something Stupid got rid of something really stupid. <laughs> 
So, Dan, do you want to move on to the counts? Yeah, let's do the counts. How about the dead crewman count, Dana? Zero. I thought there was good potential to get a dead crewman in this episode. So, yeah, Dana, so this week, zero stuck at 26.5. How about the shirtless Kirk, ripped shirt Kirk count? Zero. Yeah, so zero for this week. We are at nine. Dana, how about the he's dead count? Zero. I thought we were going to get one, but uh, McCoy let us down. He did. I mean, he could have said he's dead about Sam Kirk. And after he strangled the kid in the bed in sickbay, he could have said he's dead too. That kid, man. Ugh. Why am I so angry at this child? I have no reason to be. I don't know. The face though. When you looked at that face, didn't you just go, oh, God, just slap it. All right, let's move on. I did not. Okay. <laughs> we'll see in season three what you have to say about that guy. So zero this week, Dana, for a total of three. How about I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank? Nope. Not even close. No. You're right. Uh, stuck at three. The supreme being count. These aliens do not count as supreme beings. No, they were kind of gross looking. So zero this week for a total of six. All right. We do have the new one, Dana. I, I really hope the answer to this next question is yes, because last <laughs> week it wasn't. So did you do your homework this week, Dana? I was really busy since the last time we uh, <laughs> we talked. Really meant to. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Well, since you're being honest, Dana, I'm also going to be honest. I just Googled uh, how many times did <laughs> Kirk violate the Prime Directive, but I'm going to add one to it. So let's see if, if we agree with these. In Miri, Kirk vaccinates the children, which interferes with the natural development of the planet. Do you see that as a violation of the Prime Directive? Wow, that's a good question because they all would have died eventually. From natural causes on that planet. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it is a violation of the Prime Directive. I think so too. So that's one. Uh, Return of the Archons, Kirk and Spock destroyed Landru using the excuse that the culture was stagnant. Definitely. Yeah, you brought that up in that episode. So two. Spock brought it up in that episode. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Spock. Well, you brought up that Spock (laughs) brought it up. (laughs) Okay. Good point. Uh, So that's two. In a taste of Armageddon, Kirk and other crew members destroy the disintegration machines and war computers, thereby imposing their views of right and wrong on the civilizations in conflict. Definitely. We, We did talk about that. Yeah. So that's three. Errand of Mercy. Kirk attempts to use the Organians in a war against the Klingons. They justify interference by stating that the culture hasn't changed for 10,000 years. Yeah, and I think we talked about it then too. We did. So there's four. So Dana, in this week's episode, Operation Annihilate, do you see a violation of the Prime Directive? No, not at all. Even the killing of these aliens? Good question, but the aliens were killing colonists. And those aliens weren't from that planet, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, so zero is what you're saying? Zero. Good. So we've got a total of four. So Dan, we've done all 29 episodes. Next week, what do we got going? Next week, Dana, is our end of season one special. I'm actually pretty excited. We're going to have two guests on our show. One is Steve Miller, not the musician. Even more importantly, Dana, than Steve Miller, the musician, is the person who is responsible for declaring Riverside, Iowa, as the future birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk. It was his idea. That's awesome. That should be fun. And then we will also have from Riverside, Iowa, Travis Riggin, the chairman of TrekFest, which is the annual Star Trek celebration celebration in Riverside, Iowa. So I'm pretty excited, Dana, about next week's episode. Dana, we still haven't heard from J.J. Abrams, and we were hoping we could get him, and um, maybe Engelbert Humperdinck too, right? J.J. Abrams, most definitely. Yeah, Engelbert uh, would probably be his lawyer that would contact us. (laughs) And then William Shatner's personal toupee stylist. Oh, Pierre. Pierre. God, wouldn't that be great, Dana, to get that guy? Think about the stories that guy's got. Oh, I bet the stories are, yeah, plentiful and hilarious. 
All right, Dana, once again, I had a great time. All right, Dan. Well, always fun, uh, even though I was a little bit under the weather tonight. Uh, really appreciate you putting up with me and uh, making this a lot of fun to do. Hope our uh, listeners enjoy as much as I do. As always, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for the very special end of season one episode featuring interviews with our guests from Riverside, Iowa. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week and remember to live long and prosper.